Hi, welcome to Scattered. We're a group of friends from the same church who are serving God in different countries and we're meeting online to chat through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter. We'd love you to join us. Welcome to this week's episode of Scattered. Today I'm joined by Jill and Mary. We're continuing in the book of Luke. So Luke, we mentioned before, was known by the Apostle Paul, and he was called um, a fellow worker, a beloved physician. And he wrote this book to a guy called uh, Theophilus, who was a friend investigating the truth. And um, this book was written so that he would have a reliable account of the evidence that Luke had gathered. So we're jumping through different passages because we're going through a study called Uncover, um, which is for people who are interested in, in investigating more about the Bible. So today we're looking at chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. Ladies, what has happened in the book of Luke up until now? Okay, I'll take us on a whistle-stop tour. So the, the Luke starts with some um, information about Jesus' birth and John the Baptist's birth. So we've had that and we've had the temptation of Jesus. And then we've had him beginning his public ministry where he starts healing. He then calls his first disciples. Um, and then the last few chapters um, between the healing last week and this, there's just lots of debate between Jesus and the religious authorities of the day about all sorts of religious matters to do with the Sabbath, to do with what's clean, to do with um, what's acceptable in God's kingdom. And there's basically they're really challenged because Jesus is redefining what it means to love and follow God. And they find that really difficult because it's um, they're losing some power, I think, in the religious world because this guy is coming and teaching the Old Testament, but also interpreted it in new ways. And so there's lots of conflict in these chapters up to this point with Jesus and the religious leaders of the day. Yeah, as I said before, we're looking at chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. Could you give me a summary of this, this passage? In this passage, Jesus goes to a Pharisee's house whose name is Simon, and they are all having dinner uh, they are all reclining, which means that they kind of would have been in a U shape with their heads facing inwards. They would have kind of been leaning on one side uh, with their feet facing outwards. Um, and this woman comes in with her jar of perfume and she begins this very intimate act of washing his feet with her tears. She's crying. She cleans his feet and she kisses them and she pours her precious perfume. So she breaks open this jar and pours it on his feet. And this Pharisee, Simon, says to himself, oh, um, if, you know, if this guy was a prophet, he'd know what kind of sinner this is. But Jesus teaches Simon in this passage about forgiveness and love. So he tells Simon a little story, um, which I'm sure we'll go into, about um, how when you are forgiven much, you love much. And at the end, the woman, it goes, I mean, Jesus says, your, your sins are already forgiven. Like you, um, he says, your sins are forgiven, I guess, for the sake of the people there. But she leaves um, at peace. He says, you'll go in peace at the end of the story. 
Great. So these guys, they're at um, Simon the Pharisee's home. And what kind of setting would they be in um, to have this feast? I guess Simon's quite a middle class, if we wanted to use modern language guy. He's he's quite the guy about town. And so it would be high quality venue, um, which I guess adds to the shock when this woman of the street walks in. So, yeah, he, it would be a really well-to-do house, wouldn't it? With uh, probably lots of, I guess like we saw last week, Levi has a party and invites lots of tax collectors. So when Simon has a party, there'd be lots of religious elite there too. And this woman in the version that I have, which I think is ESV, Simon says what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Um, are we assuming that she's kind of a well, potentially people just knew that she was a prostitute or um somebody who yeah everybody knows as a sinner like are we are we gonna go there or are we just gonna leave it at everybody knows that she or thinks that she's no good everything I read assumed that she was a prostitute so I guess um at this kind of feast it would have been normal uh, especially with some kind of special guest like Jesus it would have been normal for there to be members of the public coming in and out um, so for her to actually come in wouldn't have been that unusual, um, especially because people were following Jesus around a lot in those days. So just kind of in the kind of setting of the scene, it's not like she's just broken into this private party. It very much would have been almost like a public event. Um, although for Jesus being the guest of honour, he's not exactly been treated that honourably, I don't think. Yeah, so, yeah, let's compare what Simon hasn't done and what this lady has done. Luke almost lists it for us, doesn't he, the different things that he does, um, uh, what the different things that she does in contrast to what Simon hasn't done. Um, yeah, so the, I think the big social faux pas that Simon's made is he's not, normally when a guest arrives, you would clean them you'd wash their feet you'd make sure they were comfortable and for whatever reason whether it's Simon's mistake or the mistake of his servants that hasn't happened and so Jesus hasn't had that and so this lady arrived does that but in such a personal and intimate way so she is crying and so she washes his feet with her tears um then she uses her hair to wipe his feet down and then she's kissing his feet and then almost the final act of devotion is then she uses this expensive perfume that she has to um, anoint his feet. So, yeah, it's an incredibly personal act, isn't it? Yeah, I think um, especially the first readers of these stories, like in that culture, this would have been especially shocking. I mean, it's shocking to us. I mean, if this happened at some meal we were at, we would be embarrassed. But the fact that this woman is is she must in some way be showing her hair in a way that was very inappropriate. And the way that she is acting in front of these people, it's a, it's really intimate. And really, the expectation of everybody there would be that Jesus should turn around and say, get away from me, what are you doing? But Simon says, doesn't he, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him, what kind of woman she is. So Simon is really surprised that Jesus isn't rejecting this woman. I guess that probably reflects the mood of the room. Jesus should reject this woman. Like she is embarrassing herself and she is embarrassing him in front of everybody. 
Yeah, like we mentioned that in the last study, how if someone is considered unclean or um, a sinner and they have contact or are have any sort of relationship with someone that's not, then they automatically make the person who's clean unclean. And so this is that's what everyone in the room is thinking. Why is he even letting her touch him? Yet her actions, she's putting down the shame that she feels and um, her <laughs> is very led by her emotions, isn't she? Yeah, I was reading up about this alabaster jar and what that meant. Um, just the inner Hermione coming out of me. Um, and basically this jar of perfume was, I, I could see you, Jill, trying to hold back words. <laughs> um, yeah, this jar would have been filled with this precious perfume. And we're not just talking any perfume. Like this perf perfume was really expensive. I tried to look up how much it roughly would have cost this jar and it would be like a year's wages. So if you put that, and that, that's what I found, I mean, you can correct me, but basically a lot of money. If you imagine what that is in today's money um, and sh this would be her security. I mean, I'm guessing she's unmarried. It's not clear that she poured the whole thing out, but she definitely opened it and poured some of it on Jesus's feet. So it's like almost adds to the kind of intimate nature of this because it's almost like you are my security. You are my future. I don't need this money and I don't need this security that this jar gives me. And so it almost adds a kind of another layer to this, what's happening here, because everyone in that room would have known what that alabaster jar was. And it's it it's a jar that requires to be, um, you need to break it before you use it. So mm -hmm. it is likely that she used the whole thing or, mm. you know, it's such a significant act and... Uh, significant cost to that woman um, like we were talking about last week the the guy that was lowered down from the ceiling it's a very vulnerable thing isn't it to present yourself to Jesus and she again is is <laughs> so vulnerable before him and everybody there in this act that she's doing and it, it's challenging to me like I just sometimes am not prepared to be that vulnerable in front of him and others um, but her devotion to him is just kind of overrides that. All right, can we can we just talk? Because when I was reading up on this, it, the implication was that she's met Jesus before, and so you know she's mm. encountered his teaching before, and so this isn't the first time she's seen him. But that almost this act is a response to the fact that he's forgiven her sins already, and she apparently this is my Hermione moment the tenses of when Jesus speaks over her about her sins being forgiven is in the past tense so that's already happened and this mm. act is a response to Jesus's love which she's already encountered and already received so mm. I, I think that's quite helpful isn't it to think about because it's not like she's doing this so that Jesus will forgive her she's it's yeah. a Response, isn't it from her heart to she's encountered this man she's been changed massively and this is a response to his love for her which she's already encountered uh, is that are we, uh, do we all agree with that yes, yeah and, and I think it's reinforced also by the story that um Jesus says to Simon <laughs> elaborate more on the story yeah the story is about two people who owe money to a moneylender. Um, one owes him 500 denarii and one 
50 and he forgives both of their debt. And Jesus asks Simon, who will love the moneylender more? And Simon says, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. Um, so that's the story that the in response to forgiveness of debt um, and different amounts of debt, the debtors love in different amounts. And so Jesus is comparing like the huge debt that this woman has been forgiven compared to what Simon must potentially feel that his debt is to Jesus, which potentially he feels is less. Yeah, I don't know if you want to expand on that. Yeah, I guess it's interesting, isn't it, here that Jesus is, like he did last week, he's opening it up and he's not just concerned with engaging with last week the paralysed man, but he's concerned with engaging with the whole room. And again, by telling this story, Jesus is wanting to draw in, isn't it, all those religious people sat around the table, especially Simon, to say, we've all got a debt and just because yours might not be as extravagant or as visual or as obvious as this lady's, everybody has a debt that needs to be forgiven. And so, yeah, he's shaking again, isn't he, Simon, from his position of I'm the righteous one um, to remind him that everybody has debt that needs forgiven. And again, like I love, like last week when that guy's lowered from the ceiling in the middle of Jesus' sermon, he doesn't turn around and kind of just make this guy feel like a distraction. He forgives his sin and heals him right there. And I love that Jesus does this here. He doesn't do what everybody expects him to do. He, in fact, turns, because everyone thinks this woman is being horribly inappropriate and embarrassing. And he turns around and turns the whole thing on Simon and basically says, actually, you're acting inappropriately um, in the way that you've responded to this. I love how Jesus is always working under the surface. Like Simon doesn't even say these things out loud, does he? Um, he's saying to himself, oh, if Jesus was a prophet, then he would know that this woman is a sinner. Whereas Jesus is working at that level of people's thoughts and hearts all the time and more invested in that than appearing like a great renowned preacher or appearing like this wonderfully aloof healer. He's not interested in his reputation, is he? He's interested in people's souls um, and in teaching people truth. Yeah, and he sees to the heart of both of them, doesn't he? And he's not embarrassed by her extravagance, just like he's not ashamed to call Simon out either. Um, It's really challenging, isn't it, the way Jesus does that Mm. heart work. But he knows what they both need. And yeah, even at the end, when he then repeats to her, your sins have been forgiven. It's almost like he understands, doesn't he? The amount of time she needs to hear that to to actually be able to believe Mm. it because of the amount of shame and cultural, the fact that she's on the outside. She often, Jesus needs to speak those truths over our hearts again and again and again, doesn't it? For us to be able to accept them. And he understands Mm. that about her. And he's prepared to keep reminding her that her sins are forgiven. Mm. I love in verse 44, it says, then he turned towards the woman. And as like he, as he's speaking to Simon, it's like a, it's a drawing in of her. I've been reading through Luke with the kids in our Bible times and Jesus so often draws people to himself. He's not a distant God, is he? He's a God who draws us in and heals us and doesn't turn away from us when we feel like 
he should or feel like he has turned away from us. He doesn't. Everybody else in that room thought that woman should have been turned away. And instead he turns towards her. Hmm. And how, how do the people in the room respond to these acts towards the women? They're challenged, aren't they, by Jesus. So I think we see in verse 49, the other guests began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? So I guess similar to last week, it's the fact that Jesus is forgiving sins that really makes them scratch their heads because they know, don't they, that that's God's job. And so they're left really questioning, is this man saying he's God? So um, I just wanted to ask you ladies, um, when as you were reading the story, um, did you feel any connection to any characters that came up? I really could see how easy it is as British people to be a little bit like Simon in that he's, you know, he's interested in Jesus, isn't he? He's, he's not like Nicodemus that meets Jesus in the middle of the night. He's prepared to have him into his home in an open way. So there's obviously some interest in Jesus, the religious teacher. And yet he's just sat on, he sits on the fence the whole time, doesn't he? He's, and he's, he's mocking of the devotion of the lady. But I, I was really challenged by that as a it's just quite British, isn't it? We're interested. We'll go to church. We'll 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 go so far in our interest in Jesus, but this level of devotion and um, intimacy that the lay that the lady has, we are tempted to look down our noses at, or to think, oh, that's a bit extreme. We don't need to be like that. And so, uh, yeah, I found it really challenging to think. Jesus has forgiven us so much. And so our response to him should be such an extravagant one. And yet the danger is that we can stand back a little bit and be more concerned about how we look or how that makes us look rather than allowing the depth of forgiveness that we've received to overflow in our devotion. Hmm. I was also, I was challenged in that way, but also by the... So Jesus asks the question, which of them will love him more? So which will love more in response to their debt being forgiven? Um, And Simon says the one who had the bigger debt. Um, And I was reflecting on why that is. And I was reading this thing that was helpful, which was talking about how when we receive grace, like when we understand the enormity of the grace that we receive, we are able to... Uh, almost love more and turn that grace into a kind of ex- loving others, loving loving the person who has shown us grace, but also loving the people around us and accepting the people around us. And, you know, in a way that Simon wasn't doing. Whereas when we feel like we, you know, have earned in some way the grace that we've received, or when we are very moral and live very upright lives, we are more likely to turn around and reject others. We're more likely to criticize and exclude others because we feel like we are that step above them. And I was I was challenged by that because I think sometimes we've been talking through this Uncover study about familiarity with Jesus. <clears throat> and I think there's a danger in being familiar with his forgiveness and familiar with his love for us. And therefore, our love for him and others growing cold and moral because 
we almost feel like we deserve it by the way that we live. And then other people come into our lives who are just a mess. Like, I think it would be fair to say that most people thought this woman was a bit of a mess. And then comes all the judgy attitudes and and people come into my life who I feel like are a bit of a mess. And I just am so quick to judge them. And I feel like I, I needed this reminder that Jesus is all grace and all love and no reputation. He doesn't care about his reputation. He doesn't care, you know, in a right way. And he doesn't care um, what people expect him to do. He just loves and shows great grace. And I feel like I need more of that in the way that I treat messy people in my life. Yeah, that's good, Mary. It's such a great reminder that we're constantly in need of his forgiveness. Like, um, like he said, Mary earlier that he, Jesus reminds her again in past tense, your sins are forgiven. Like they have been forgiven. And I feel like we constantly need that in the journey, in, in the race before we see Jesus face to face. We need a reminder that your sins are forgiven. It's been done and that we can go in peace. And I think that's a, um, a beautiful reminder that we don't need to strive and feel like, oh, I haven't done so well this week. I haven't read the Bible as well as I should have or as much as I should have. I haven't prayed as much as I should have. Yet Jesus is saying that actually he's the one that saves us he's the one that mm-hmm. um gives us forgives us our debts and and gives us his peace which yeah draws us even closer to love and to pour out our devotion on him hmm. yeah and i was thinking for people who are reading this for the first time and maybe looking at christianity for the first time i feel like the challenge in this passage is verse 49. Who is this who even forgives sins? Really, that question is for everybody who reads these gospels. Really, we must ask ourselves, who do we think Jesus is? Because if he is who he says he is, then he has a claim over us, which is that we are in need of forgiveness and he's ready to forgive Like, it's not just a a comprehension exercise reading this. It's like this guy has claims over us personally. And we each need to ask ourselves, who is this man that even forgives sins? Because if that's true, then we need to deal with, he needs to deal with our hearts and we need to encounter him for ourselves. And I guess Simon's a salutary lesson in that, isn't it? Because we have, there's no evidence throughout the rest of the Gospels that Simon receives that teaching that Jesus gave him and responds warmly Mm. to Jesus it just appears that he stays sat on the fence and that's a really dangerous place to be isn't it because Mm. there's no peace there and there's no forgiveness there Mm. well if you're exploring and wanting to find out more we'd love you to join us next week but for now bye. bye bye bye